0: you're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Thanks, Josh. Church family, good to be with you here this morning. Guests that are among us here, grateful you're with us. My name is Shay Sumlin. I'm one of the pastors here at Northway and uh, just grateful to be gathered together here this morning together. Um, We are continuing a little mini summer series that we're doing called A Praying Life. And in this series, what we're trying to do is ask that God would show us a different way of living, one that is rooted in prayer, that is rooted in dependence upon God. And uh, in many weeks, this little mini-series is hopefully going to be for us like spending a a few intentional weeks here in a spiritual gym where we are training some new prayer muscles together um, and shedding those unneeded pounds of self-sufficiency and pride. Uh, One of the greatest texts that has encouraged my prayer life over the years is from Acts chapter 4. I'd love to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4 there in your New Testament. This is a one of the prayers of the early church uh, that we'll glean from here today and will help us think about prayer uh, here in this context. Now the background, as you're turning there, the background in this text, in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John have gone into the temple and they are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. We are not long after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. After he's been crucified on the cross, he's resurrected, he's now ascended to the right hand of the Father and uh, has now, through the Holy Spirit, empowered his disciples to go out and proclaim the good news, as witnesses. And so Peter and John have done that. They've gone into the temple and they're proclaiming the gospel. They're going into the very place where just... Weeks before here, Jesus Christ was crucified by these leaders who've rejected Jesus Christ and yet they are boldly announcing, there is only one God, his name is Jesus Christ. He has come as our Messiah to give his life as a ransom for many to shed his blood on that cross, to cover and atone for our sins, who went into that grave and by the power of the Holy Spirit was resurrected to new life again. He has conquered sin, Satan, and death. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father and all of this so that you and I could be reconciled to him, not by our own works, but by his grace received through faith in who he is and what he's done and have the forgiveness of sins. And they're declaring this message in the temple and it is not received well. In fact, at the beginning of Acts chapter four, they are arrested for doing this. And they are put on trial. Their very lives are now, it appears in the hands of these religious leaders who again, just crucified Jesus. And now they're attempting to do the same with Jesus's followers. And as they're arrested and they're put on trial, the crowd around begins to put pressure on them not to do so because of the claims of Christ. And so fearing a public backlash, they are released from custody. In the back half of chapter four, they're released from custody, and yet they are warned to never mention the name of Jesus again. And those classic words by Peter and John in verse 19 of chapter four, when they say whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to him, And you're going to have to be the judge of that one. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. You're not going to silence us because it's true. We have beheld the risen Christ with our own eyes. The message of the Old Testament is true. There is a Messiah who has come for us and his name is Jesus. And you're not going to shut us up And so they release the disciples, but with this warning, not to speak again. But one thing that is clear in this text is that religious persecution is now rekindled. It didn't end with Jesus. It is now rekindled for his church. And the question is, is what is the response of the church? Not if, but when persecution comes for you, comes for us based on our faith in Jesus Christ. What was the response of the early church? I want you to see this starting, pick up in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, that's when this gathered church, when they heard this news, they lifted their voices together to God. Did you notice what their first response is? First response at religious persecution. Notice what it wasn't. It wasn't, let's go get more ammo. Let's start prepping with underground bunkers. It wasn't, let's go the other way and acquiesce and let's just join the other team so that life goes easy. With The very first response when the threats start coming after the church is to drop on their knees in prayer to God. It's the first response you see. Nothing like a good imprisonment to drive you to your knees, you know? And so they do right here. Notice who they prayed to. Right there in verse 24, they said, Sovereign Lord. Now you would not grab this in your English translation. But the word that's used for Lord in verse 24 is different than the word that's used for Lord in verse 29. The most common use in the New Testament of Lord is the one that's in verse 29, Kyrios, which simply means anointed one, the Messiah. But in this one, they use the Greek word despotes, which is a very unique word used for Lord. We get the term despot. Despot. Now, when you think of a despot, who do you think of? Typically, we think in negative terms of a despot. We'll think Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Mao, whoever we're gonna go through. Someone with whom no one can contend. Someone who has absolute power, whose edicts when spoken become reality. Someone whom nobody uh, can thwart their plans. And we we tend to use it again in a negative sense, but in a positive sense, it's just someone who has complete power, complete control over everything. And this is who they viewed God to be. Greater than the threats of the leaders of their day who appeared to have all authority and all power, they drop to their knees under those threats and they look up to the despot of despots. And the ESV translates it right here, sovereign Lord the one who is over everything, the one who has infinite power, who has absolute control, whom no one can contend with, who can do anything he wants. That's who the church views God to be. Greater than their circumstances is a God who's sovereign over them. So let's run to him rather than running to our circumstances. And notice as they approach this sovereign, this despot Lord, what do they ask of him first? It's not even something they ask. Rather than treating him like a genie's lamp, where they can just come to him and beckon them with all their preferences and their wants, the first thing they do is they quote scripture back to him. Verse 24. O sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Just like we saw last week in Nehemiah's prayer, when Nehemiah's quoting scripture back to God, they do the same thing here, Genesis 1 and 2. And it's Genesis 1 and 2 that evidences why this God is the despot God. He is the one who spoke and everything came into existence. So he is over, he has made the heaven and earth. He is, he is over every molecule that is in this visible and invisible world around us. There is not a single event that happens on this planet that God is not sovereign over, that God is not in control of. And so they know that their God is the one who made all of the heavens and earth. So certainly he's strong enough to contend with their enemies in this day certainly this God is a big God. And so they cry out to him. But not only that, not only did they quote Genesis 1 and 2, notice there at at verse 25 and following, they're gonna quote more scripture back to God. They're gonna quote David from Psalm 2, who helped us understand that God promised long ago that this day of persecution was coming this is not something that was unexpected this is not something that is going to catch god off guard god called this shot a long time ago and so we see this in verse 25 who through the mouth of our father david your servant said by the holy spirit why do the gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. See, God foretold a long time ago through David, his servant, in Psalm chapter two, he promised that there would be enemies who would rise up against God and who would rise up against God's anointed. That there would be a Messiah who would come to rescue men and women from their sins and there was gonna be a real enemy out there tucked within the nations who are gonna rise up in opposition to that work, who do not believe in God and do not believe in the redemption through Christ's blood. And they are going to wage war against that news because that means there must be another God other than us. And human beings don't like that. And David called that shot. God called that shot back in Psalm two. And in verse 27, these disciples on their knees in this prayer understand that they are watching that prophecy come true right before their eyes there in Jerusalem. For truly, verse 27, in this city, there were gathered together against you, against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel they say that day is now. The whole dang city is coming down on us. Started with Jesus and they're not letting up with us either. Indeed, there is persecution. And because God called this shot a long time ago, even though it's challenging for that present church, God is in no way caught off guard by this. In fact, in verse 28, we see that this is all actually part of his foreordained plan. When he says in verse 28, it is to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. None of this catches God off guard because it's all part of his redemptive arc that includes, unfortunately, pain and suffering, includes hostility from people who are opposed to God, but it will not thwart God's plans. This becomes, by the way, verse 28, a classic promise that the church can hold on to in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trial and suffering, is that there is a God on the throne who has a plan in it. He will not be defeated, even though the circumstances may well up against you. You can hold on to that promise. If not in this life, for sure in the one to come, he will have the last say. And you can trust his plan to play out. So let us yield to it. And so... They take refuge in it. This idea of sovereignty of God, I know it rubs some people wrong because we can't really reconcile the sovereignty of a good God with these horrific circumstances that happen to us. We don't see how that can play out because we have finite minds. We can't think infinitely as God can. There's an enigma here for us, but the truth is in the scriptures, God presents himself as sovereign. He declares he is sovereign. He has proved he is sovereign over all things. And so in that, we can trust the hand of God. We can trust the heart of God in moving on that. Now that may rub us wrong, but I'll tell you what, I would rather submit myself in this enigma where I can't quite reconcile circumstances to a God who is sovereign rather than a God who simply just lets the train run off the tracks and go wherever it wants. That's an impotent God. I'd rather trust him in the midst of it. In fact, Dane Ortland comments on why God's sovereignty should be a comfort to us in times of trouble rather than a threat. When he says this, because when you trust in the Lord as your help and your shield, in other words, when you locate your inner calm and security in God, instead of your own management of circumstances, the frenetic anxieties that clutch at your heart, they lose their vice-like grip. At first, this trust feels like a dangerous free fall. Who knows where I might be swept off to if I hand over the reins of my life to another. But if we can settle in our hearts that the Lord is our heavenly father and will guide us only into that which will finally result in our joy and radiance, even if it means passing through pain, then we find his sovereign rule freeing rather than threatening. This is clearly the posture of the early church in their prayer is trusting in the sovereignty of the despot God. Now, that being said, to that God, notice their plea in verse 29. And now Lord, that's Kyrios, now Lord, the anointed Christ, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you catch what this church just prayed for in the midst of all out threats against them to take their lives? First, notice what they did in action. There's no hedge of protection going on around here. They didn't pray for any of that right now. You know what they prayed for right here? Under the canopy of God's sovereignty in the midst of their suffering, they pray and ask for the grace of God to defy the system. That's a bold prayer. Now, that, please understand, that that's not license for crazed riot and insurrection right here. Rather, what they're saying is if it comes down to me being silent about Jesus Christ in order to be safe in the world around me or me being arrested and even giving my life for preaching the gospel, the truth of God's word in Jesus Christ, then oh Lord, help me stay faithful to you and preach your truth all the more boldly, even if it costs me my life, all while you continue to heal and to save and to work your wonders and flexing who you are. Now church, tell me something for just a moment. You find a bunch of Christians, you find a church that's like this. And by the way, this mirrors what we saw in Peter and John in verse 13. Verse 13, Peter and John, they are described by the persecutors as being incredibly bold for a bunch of common, non-educated people. And yet what they are marked by in verse 13, they recognize that they had been with Jesus. So tell me something, you you find God's church, a broken, non-educated, non-scholared group of people. And maybe that should bring encouragement to many of us, but who are completely unable to change their circumstances. But yet after spending time with Jesus, they come together in humility under dependence of the Holy Spirit to intervene. Not treating God like like a genie's lamp, not treating God like a lucky rabbit's foot who exists to serve my needs and my comforts and my preferences, but instead they choose to quote God's own word, his scriptures back to him, evidencing the fact that they want to approach God on his terms, not on our terms, and they publicly confess their belief in and submission to the sovereign authority of God over all circumstances, whether he chooses to spare their lives or not is irrelevant, but they simply fall on their face before the despot of the universe in order to request that he might dispense even more grace for them so that they would have the courage to stand in their day and continue to glorify God by preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is perishing. You find me a church like that, who prays that prayer, what do you think God's response is going to be to that? Nah, I was hoping you were asking me for the big lotto numbers last week so you could cash in, buy a big old yacht and sail the heck out of here, out of this corrupted world. That's what I was hoping you'd pray for, No, God's not thinking that. You know what God does when he hears a prayer like that, of in the midst of our persecution, embolden us to preach all the more? You get verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God provides a thunderous earthquake amen to that prayer. Somebody after the 9 a.m. said, man, wouldn't it be cool if God just erupted in an earthquake right here? And I said, no, nah, ain't gonna happen in Dallas. We would get a tornado. <laughs> Which is why in 2019, we had a big old amen right then. <laughs> big old amen. God gives them a thunderous earthquake of an amen. He answers their request right then by yielding them to the Holy Spirit not their own sufficiency, not their own strength, but the one provided by the spirit of God himself who empowers his church to do what they cannot do apart from him. And the Holy Spirit girds them up and the church gets up off their knees. They go out that door and right back into the battlefield, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Man, I love Acts 4. Such a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful picture of the role and the function of prayer in the church when faced with trial and persecution. And it is a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of our sovereign, despot God to answer those prayers and to empower his people for the mission that he's given us. I think the challenge for us, and especially here in the West, is that this is a muscle that we we just haven't used. And many of us honestly don't even know how to use it. Many of us maybe have been in positions where we don't even know that we need to use it. And unfortunately, there are many of us who actually don't want to use this muscle. Because I can confess to you right now, this is not my default position. When trials hit me, I have to remind myself where my strength is because my default is i want to run to pragmatism real quick i want to put things in control of my own hands because then i am the despot in front of it i'm in control of these circumstances and that's what i that's the idol that i want so much is control and so i'm going to run to all kind of low hanging fruit that can be managed by man and unfortunately when i do that i get the results of what man can do which is impotence against over overwhelming circumstances that mount against me. This prayer has helped retrain me to try to be more instinctive to run to the despot God who longs to answer our prayers, to the power of the Holy Spirit against my weakness. This prayer has helped that. It's, it's, it's retrained how I even pray for my daughters. So many years of praying, oh God, keep them safe, keep them some secure, keep them out of these hard circumstances, get away from the wrong kinds of crowds, Keep the boys thousands of yards away. I still pray that one, that's okay. But it's trained me, honestly, to surrender before God and go, God, they're your daughters. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, sink them deeply into your word, embolden them to step into those hard places and spaces to faithfully proclaim your good news and the hardest prayer a parent can pray, even if it costs them their own life for you. The role of prayer like this has got to become more vital for us, both in our growing intimacy with our heavenly father, but especially if we're gonna even have a shot as a church at standing in the day that is coming for us right now in our culture. Now this passage assumes some things that I think we need to be aware of if indeed we are gonna grow this prayer muscle. First of all, I think it assumes there is a need for boldness right now in our day, amongst us. We are a people who are prone to acquiescing. This assumes that our gospel proclamation and our words and our gospel application and our deeds are not gonna be popular in a hostile culture around us. We are going to be viewed as Christians, no matter what you say, you're going to be viewed as too narrow, too judgmental, and too exclusive. And that is unacceptable in the day that we're in. And we're going to have to stand against that. It assumes that you and I are going to get canceled. It's not a matter of if, it's when, when we are faithful with the good news of Jesus Christ. It assumes that in a day where we are expected to be tolerant of everything other than the claims of Jesus Christ, the world's coming after you. Jesus already told us it's not an elective course, it's a requirement that we are going to face persecution. If you're not facing persecution yet, it's either a matter of it's coming for you soon or maybe it's that you're just too quiet. You're just too accommodating and you are not being conformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to the image of Jesus Christ who incarnated into this broken world, stood against those human values and systems and preached the good news that came through his blood as the only way to the Father. This assumes that you and I are going to have to accept that life is going to be hard in the days ahead as we follow Jesus. It is why we need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to gird us up for the call of duty that awaits us and pray for the grace of God to help us stand. It also assumes that you and I are going to need to know God's word intimately in order to know what to ask for, let alone give our lives for. We're gonna to have to train ourselves in biblical literacy and faithful application of his word. We're gonna to have to know the eternal promises of God in scripture so well that there is an anchor of truth for us when the winds of the culture start blowing and trying to capsize us. We're gonna to need to know God's word. We're gonna to need to pray God's word. And again, I'm confessing up here, being obedient to Jesus in the culture we're in today, I feel like I was unprepared for some of it. The culture that I'm engaging with today is not the culture that I knew 20 years ago. The culture 20 years ago when I was in seminary getting trained up for ministry, the things we were facing then, have changed drastically. The culture has shifted so much, but I can tell you this, as quick as things are changing, the one thing that I know that has not changed is God and his word. And I can hold fast to it and know that everything we're facing today, even though Twitter's up in arms about it, nothing has caught God off guard. He knows where we are. And so he longs to meet us where we're at and strengthen us as a church for the mission ahead if we'll only yield ourselves to him. And so church, let's learn to run to the despot God in prayer. Let's ask for his grace and his power to herald the good news of Jesus Christ boldly in our day, faithfully in our day, not compromising in our day, and to boldly proclaim it in truth and in love in a day of compromise and persecution and hostility. So that being said, here's what we want to do. And we're doing this at the end of every one of these messages. We don't want to just talk about prayer. We wanna step into the gym and we wanna exercise this muscle. So we're gonna do so for the next several minutes here as a church family together. I wanna put some points up here on the screen that I think maybe guide us into this time, right where you are, or maybe with some of the people that you came with, but a couple things, three things in particular that I want us to do here for the next several minutes. First of all, think through some of the areas where maybe you are experiencing some hostilities or persecution of your faith in your own life right now. Think hard, think about some of the areas where maybe, or even the fears that if I were to be a little bit more bold about the truth of the person in the work of Jesus Christ, maybe at my work, my neighborhood, with some of the community around me, friends, family that I know are hostile to Jesus. Think, do a little bit of inventory. Where are those arenas in your life where you are or could certainly soon be facing persecution because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And at the very least, secondly, consider the ways in which you are seeing the nations right now, Psalm two, rage against Jesus Christ, against the church, both here in Dallas, in the United States, certainly across the globe right now. Think about those spaces and places where you are watching in real time, the nation's rage against the Lord and his anointed and those who follow him. And once you've done that inventory, then let us thirdly, let's pray this acts 4 prayer. First on behalf of yourself, and then on behalf of the church, pray for Northway church. Pray for the church of Jesus Christ in the city of Dallas and across the globe. And in doing so, maybe use these four rhythms that we've seen in Acts 4. Now, these aren't the only ones. There's a lot. We can dig a lot further if we had more time in Acts 4. But these four rhythms are certainly clear. First of all, as we pray, let us come to God acknowledging his sovereignty. Acknowledging his authority. Jesus wasn't lying when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So let's, in our prayer, bend the knee and acknowledge God's sovereign authority over all areas of life, including the hostilities and the persecutions that we're gonna face. And then secondly, let's confess his unchanging promises. The promises in scripture are really the the extended attributes of who God is already. Let's acknowledge those and let's pray those scriptures back to God about who he is and what he can do, what he's promised to do, all that are rooted in scripture. Third, let us humbly yield ourselves in our prayers in submission and trust to God's foreordained will in whatever circumstances we may face. Let us yield, not my will, O Lord, but your will be done. Let's yield to it in these hard circumstances. And then lastly, let's courageously ask the Holy Spirit to empower you, to empower us, the rest of Christ church. Pray for Northway Church to be sent into the places and the spaces that need Jesus the most so that we can boldly proclaim the gospel there. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to empower us and see an awakening in the community around us towards Jesus Christ because of a bold proclamation of this gospel, amen? So take some moment here, take some time and let's pray this prayer. Let's pray it in your context here. Cry out to God and then I'll come and I'll close this out here in just a few minutes. Father, we sit before you humbly here this morning. We recognize your eternal power, eternal glory, your eternal goodness, who sovereignly rules and reigns over heaven and earth. God, we, we acknowledge there is nothing, nothing that is not under your control. We see in scripture, God, that you, you speak and it comes to be. Even the wind and the waves obey your voice. You command and the demons flee. You command and the walls of kingdoms literally fall down. You speak it and diseases are healed. The dead are raised. And the miracle of all miracles is that you speak it and hardened hearts are softened and surrendered person and work of Jesus Christ, saving and regenerating hearts, made anew by faith alone in Christ alone through his grace alone. And you've told us now that as your children, that you will never leave nor forsake us. In fact, you sent your Holy Spirit as a down payment to comfort us, to guide us, to empower us, to deliver us all the way through to the end. And even though trials may come our way, they will come our way, You have promised us in your word that you will withhold no good thing from those who walk upright, to those who love and who trust you. That there is nothing, no scheme of the enemy, no horrific circumstances that will thwart your plans. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against your church. And so in light of all that, Lord, we humbly, we lay down our will our earthly will in exchange for your heavenly will, not ours, but yours be done. May it be here at Northway, may it be here in Dallas as it is in heaven. We trade our earthly treasures for the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. We trade our earthly comforts to know that there is no shelter, no refuge like being under the mighty wing of you, O God. So Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would empower us would awaken your church. As I look upon this room, I do not see seats of the frozen chosen. I see an army that is ready to be assembled. So Holy Spirit, would you supply the armor that you promised in Ephesians 6? Would you gird us up in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, shield of faith, armed with the sword that is your word? And when doing so, would you help us stand in our day to not acquiesce, to not shrink back to the cultural tides that are prevailing against us in this moment, but oh, may you wake your church up, embolden us to go out these doors today in the full trust and confidence of Jesus Christ, that he who is promised is faithful to keep his promises. Power us to be a salt and a light. a world that so desperately needs Jesus, let us not be silent. And God, in all this, we pray that you would accomplish the greatest for your glory and certainly for the good of your church in doing it. And it's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus so we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 1115, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.